Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. I'm Tom King, joined by Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates, on location today from the palatial Kelch Estate in northern Wisconsin, and it's snowing. It is snowing a ton, matter of fact. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, being a, a hunter and an outdoorsman, Tom, I'm a... Uh, well, I can't be wait to be done with the show, so I can go play in the snow. This is just great. I uh, I was driving in this morning about five, and uh, yeah. there was a guy unloading his boat uh, at Gilbert Street Park at the boat landing. It's like yeah. it's like pitch black. It's snowing a little bit, and it's cold. And this guy's going out on the water now. Is that duck hunting? Is that fishing? What I mean, what, what what's he doing out there in thirty three degree weather in the snow? I'm not really sure what he's going after, but he's committed. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> or he should be. I'm not really sure which one of those. You know, I have stories of lore uh, with my family up here. You know, our, our family's from the uh, the Willow Flowage areas where we've always, uh, you know, done our vacations in life. And I have question, or, uh, stories from my uncle where my uncles and my grandpa, they would hop in their rowboats and uh, row down the Tomahawk River uh, to go hunting. Otherwise, they would take their boats, a whole group of them, they'd go through and start driving you know, doing deer hunting drives in the islands on the Willow Flowage. I just thought to myself, man, that's that seems like a lot of work when I walk out to my heated blind. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be uh, uh, committed to your cause, if you will. So, Tom, this is my last week in quarantine. Of course, I'm quarantined because my, and I'm not uh, ashamed to say, my, my brother came down with COVID as well as my nephew. And so I was a close contact, so I've been sequestered. I'm fine. There's no issues. Everything's going on. My brother is doing just fine, except COVID made him uglier. I'm not really oh yeah, well sure of course, he's sure. Good looking as he was before. I'm not really sure what it is. You know, speaking of this, um, obviously, uh, Central Wisconsin, not only Central Wisconsin but the entire state of Wisconsin, has become a hot spot and a, a spike. In fact, I think uh, the, yeah. the story had I think of the top 15 cities in the country uh, for the highest rate of positive tests, I think eight or nine of them were in Wisconsin. Uh, in, yeah, including yeah. Wausau. So obviously this is not going to go away anytime soon. And uh, what in your mind does that mean for the economy? Obviously not positive. I've got multiple, multiple, multiple things to say on this and, and good and bad. And people are going to like and dislike what I say. I try to go by what the, the numbers and the math try to say. And so, so from that, to try to come through and have some sort of a a reasonable guesstimate of what we can expect into the future. And first of all, it's not going to go away. Um, you know, if we have a vaccine, it's going to go away eventually. Um, but even some things that we thought were completely gone, such as smallpox, measles, and this whole bit, uh, they tend to show up every once in a while. So it's not entirely going to go away. But it'll become to a point that it's manageable for us. So, you know, when I look at this, by the way, Marathon County, it looks like, at least from uh, last night's numbers, it looks like we're actually coming down a little bit in Marathon County. So we'll have to see over the course of next week and see if that's the case. And that's uh, per the state. Um, and uh, county records, so we'll have to see if that's accurate. But at least for my being able to blow it up, being an older guy, I can't see as well as I used to being able to blow it up and take a look at it. You know, when we look at this, um, first of all, and I'm not picking on Governor Evers, I'm just simply saying that they put the mask mandates involved in that a little bit. It appears though it really doesn't, it's really not helping as much as they think. Well, because people aren't doing it, and, and I've got a perfect well, example. No, 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 i got no, a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm I, just simply saying is that it appears as though it's not working as they said. I got a perfect we example. I went, went out for breakfast. Oh, God, this I, I got one, too, and it's coming to me. <laughs> I went out for breakfast this morning, and uh, and I was the only one in this play, a, a diner in Wausau, wearing a mask. Everybody else was sitting there. There were 10 people, a couple of waitresses, 
None of them were eating yet, so they, they, they should have had their mask on. Nobody had a mask on. So, I mean. But remember the, the original mask, Tom, it said that we had to wear a mask, but uh, unless you were eating, you know, so. But they weren't eating. So that's the thing. They didn't have food in front is, of them. Yeah. 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 So, you know, so, so wearing a mask and the mask mandates, probably not changing much. It appears as though, and this was, uh, I always get her name, I always want to call it Brexit, but it's not. Uh, she was part of uh, the coronavirus uh, team. She Deborah Burks. A number of years Dr. Ago. Burks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep, Burks. There we go. Why do I keep wanting to say Brexit? I keep swapping it. Um, so Dr. Burks, she had said a long time ago, and I remember her making a statement because it makes a lot of sense, is that when we start getting together, whether it's even set of cold or heat, is when we tend to start seeing the flare-ups. We saw when it first came inside of the Northwest and, and the East Coast, we saw the cases run up initially in, in huge back in February and March. Uh, we were all inside at that point in time as far as heat goes. Throughout the course of the summer, we saw, of course, the, the south got hit while we were inside because of air conditioning. So I think the masks, though they may do something inside of public, it's not doing what we're really getting hit, in my opinion, which would be at home or places of social gatherings where we're together. Mask or not, we have the possibility of getting it, and I think largely is a result of using the mask. I mean, but we've had a large we've had people. we've had large gatherings that where people aren't wearing masks, and and that's that's problematic. In fact. Uh, your president has his rallies. Nobody wears a mask. There's another one in Janesville tonight. In Janesville, one of the hot spots in Wisconsin, uh, and yeah. and no masks being worn. They just don't believe it. Well, they don't believe you know, the it. The thing is, we can look at that, but we can also look at, you know, Kamala Harris. She's got two of her staffers who've been wearing masks and still got it. It's it's going to happen. Is my point in this? I mean, even here's mom. Uh, love you, mom. I'm sure you're going to hear about this from some of your friends. But I told mom, here's an N95 mask. She had to get her furnace worked on. So. They eventually replaced furnace. Said, Here's an N95 mask. Wear this the whole time. So I stop over to uh, see mom and how things are going. She's got the mask. She goes, I've been wearing my mask the whole time, but her nose is sticking out. <laughs> we're, we're not, well, we're, she's protecting other so, people. So she's just not protecting herself. That's it. Yeah, well, um, well, she wasn't. If her nose was out, you know, you still sneeze and, you know, stuff flies out of there. Just look at any, you know, two or three-year-old kid that gets the flu. So, so in here, I think masks aren't doing quite what they said. I, I think So I think it's here to stay. All right, I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to spend the whole hour on COVID. There was something else I wanted no, to no. touch on here in the first segment yep. be, because there was an interesting story on Market Watch, um, and the t- the, the uh, headline says young and dumb traders have created a total nightmare in the stock market. This is from a fund manager in an interview with CNBC. Uh, Cole Smead, president of Smead Capital Management, he said the buying that went on in August and September is a 10-year phenomenon the likes of which we have never seen among millennials and in the risk-taking among people that don't want to own bonds and want to own overpriced U.S. quality businesses. It's of record proportions. And he singles out things like Microsoft uh, as one of those companies that everybody wants to buy, even though he says that Microsoft is is totally un, uh, priced unrealistically. He says that uh, at 40 times earnings, there is 0% uh, percent chance that Microsoft stock will produce wealth for someone over the next 10 years to meet their needs. Uh, we've talked that about on the expansion of what they do, but yeah, I can't disagree. We talk, we've, no, talked about the, the, we've talked about how the market is, uh, is um, you know, overweighted at the top. Uh, yep. and, th- and this guy seems to think that the reason it is is there are too many traders, and he singles out young traders, chasing after this stuff. Remember the time we talked about this in Tesla a while ago? You know, we said, well, why is Tesla going so high? It just doesn't make any sense. The math doesn't work. And it's happened to a lot of places. You remember, Tom, back in the, uh, the late 90s, they had all these trading rooms that were out there. You'd go to a trading room and you traded for the day, but you had to close out your position. You may not remember that, but certainly I do. Um, you know, they went through and they had all these day traders. In fact, I know people 
um, not personally, but they're relatives of, of great friends of mine, and so I know them through them. Um, they literally quit all their day jobs, took all their 401ks investments, and became day traders because that's what they're going to do for a living because you can't miss the markets keep going up, as they said. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, well, eventually, of course, they lost all their money, their family, their fortunes, the fortunes of their uh, mom and dad and everybody else. All evaporated and disappeared and fell apart since the day trading didn't work any longer. And so as a result of that, you remember back to Mel Carton's back when we were kids, Tom, and you know, had the missing children on the back of the Mel Carton? Yeah. Uh, so the joke in the industry was they put day traders up there. And, and so we may very well end up seeing the same thing here. You know, the day trading, the, the stock runs up. People are going to keep hopping in and saying, well, geez, the stock is running up. But eventually, um, the, you know, the people where the serious money are say, well, we've had enough of this. We're going to stop now. And remember, that sort of stuff, when you have that trend going up, it's the last people in that end up getting their hat handed to them. And I suspect we're going to see that same thing start to happen right now. For example, if you're running around out there saying, and I'm just using Microsoft as you used as an example, um, you know, if we go through and say, well, geez, Microsoft is up this far, almost the past tense of my term, um, we're going to buy that, you might end up getting your hat handed to you as the stock price corrects, which it will. Because well, the stock price has to come back down to a norm or the business has to dramatically rise to match up to where the stock price is. Well, Smead says uh, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, he says that we spend half our time right now telling people how dangerous things are. And he says... Uh, we've reached next-level buying fever in U.S. stocks, and when it turns, it could get ugly. He said, despite their accommodative monetary policy, the Fed ultimately can't save a stock market, especially one that is this top-heavy. He's suggesting That's that correct. we're going to see. A, are we going to see a correction uh, on par with you know, things like 2008 and and going back even further to some of the big downturns? I don't think we've seen a correction of that dramatic size. I think we already had that happen. I mean, the beginning of the year, if we take a look inside of March, I think that sort of stuff has already occurred. But, folks, you know, we've talked about it for uh, for a long time in my office, and I know that we've talked about it here in the show. You know, if we take a look at the rate of return of the S&P 500, and I'm ballparking my number, folks. Don't hit me exactly on the When I say five stocks, it could be six or seven. But the, the bulk of the S&P 500, the growth in it that we're seeing right now is not because of the whole S&P 500 stocks. Pardon me, it's really because of the S&P 4, 5, or 6 stocks. So, and then we take a look at the Microsofts and the Apples and all that sort of stuff. We put them into that mix. They've so outpaced the rest of the pack right now uh, that they broke ahead. If you're in a horse race, these are the ones that are four and five lengths ahead from everybody else, but there's two or three horses ahead. And so as a result of that, then, we almost have to put an asterisk in the S&P 500 and say, well, what's the other 495 stocks doing? Because that's a better indicator of what's happening inside of the economy. And with it, they're about the same places where the Dow is maybe a little bit farther ahead. But those tech stocks have really taken off. And so we have to look at them and say, are these tech stocks, as a result of what they are, are they actually making money Making money, and are they worth what they're doing? So we look at it, those that are making money as a result of Tom, you and I being home are probably just fine. So if we look at, though this isn't one of the tech stocks, this is my example, if we look at Walmart right now, their online sales is going through the roof. Amazon, same principle. We look at Target, and we look at those stocks. Now, am I recommending to go out and buy them? No, but we can explain why they're having why they're having great rates of returns, and the reason is we're at home, we're using their products and services. You know, we can take a look at all these different types of companies and say which ones make sense. Love Microsoft; their stock has done some great stuff. I love what they're coming up into the future with some of their their AI and their work in the quantum computing. We've bought them for clients throughout the course of the year, and the price was down. Notice the term down. Um, and so as a result of that, then we look at it and say, can they create profit to hold up with their stock prices now? Otherwise, it's going to correct itself. And we may find that 
So that that top big high tech sector sector inside of the S and P 500 of those big tech stocks that we're going to have a correction in that section. Well, will have an effect on the S and P 500 itself. Sure, it's going to. There's no doubt about it. Will it have an effect on the Dow? Sure. But will we have this, you know, uh, 15, 20%, 30% down? I doubt it because it's not representing that much of the rise in the S&P 500. So I don't think that we'd have it at this point in time. All right, 715. It all comes down to profit. 715-845-2155. We're going to take a break, come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call. We'll be right back here on WSAU. As the world faces the challenges of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, Lions recognize that kindness matters now more than ever. And Lions and Leos are finding ways to continue to serve our communities, including ordering food delivery for healthcare workers. King along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. Phone lines are open if you have a question for Merle. You mentioned uh, before the break, you were talking about Walmart and you were talking about AI. And I know you were talking about how Walmart has, has used artificial intelligence to improve their online business. But I wanted to take that a little bit further because you, I think you know how I feel about AI and where I think AI is going to go someday, and it's not good. There's a new show on Fox, by the way, if you're interested in rogue AIs. It's called Next, if you want to check that out. But I guess I wanted to ask you about what part AI plays in the investment business at this point in time, and uh, how does it wor- how does AI work in your business, or maybe not yours, but on Wall Street, and where is that going? Uh, what, par- what part does AI play in the way the markets work and the way the markets function? Jeez, Tom. Um, Is that too deep for you this morning? No, it's just <laughs> that the answer is too big. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> you know, 20 years ago when I was in this business, um, there's this big thing coming out, and it was really uh, it came about, in my opinion, it came out huge through Prudential. I think they were one of the first ones to start it. A couple of other fun families coming out calling behavioral, behavioral um, uh, tendencies for investors. And so uh, as a result of that, then, then you saw more stuff happening with trending and trending funds. And so what they found out is they went through psychologically um, what Tom was going to buy based upon what was going on inside the marketplace. And so they're actually creating investments of mutual funds based upon those trends of what happened. So uh, um, I'm, I'm just going to use an example. Let's say we found that around Christmas people bought, and I'm just going to pick on Walmart and Target because they're under my mind we're talking about them. Uh, well, the last quarter of the year, maybe people started buying more Target and Walmart um, um, and Amazon because uh, they thought Christmas was going to be a great Christmas and start buying those stocks. And so as a result of that, you would have investments and funds that would start buying based upon the behaviorals or the behaviors that you and I as investors would do. And, and so that's one of the first times we saw it was maybe about 20 years ago. Jeez, I'm getting old in this business, Tom. <laughs> um, and so, so we look at this now, and now it's just, you know, it's stepped up even further. Uh, because of computer systems design, you know, artificial intelligence, which is simply a, you know, a bunch of computer programs that just do it faster and better and quicker with better data, folks. Um, it's the same type of thing. We can look through and say, okay, as, as things start becoming more recessionary, where do people start buying? And so these funds start going and buying those areas ahead of time based upon what our behaviors are going to be as individuals. So like anything else, Tom, in my opinion, what happens with this stuff is that with everybody knows that that's what they're doing, that advantage tends to dissipate or fade as a result of other funds of people taking advantage of those exact same things. And so I think they tend to, uh, to fade away a bit after a while. But what I'm finding with the artificial intelligence happens is that the computers are trading at a much more efficient, faster way than they ever have before, even though we still have to have you know human interjection, or that's um, a part of the, this whole thing. 
you know, for example, Tom, you know, a lot of trading, that, all the trading that's being done is using a computer um, and using live bodies. The live bodies are in there doing the deals that we keep saying, you know, buy this, buy this, that we see from trading base, spaces or trading places, that whole, but that actually does happen. Uh, but then the stuff's immediately entered in the computer systems, much more faster and efficient than it is now. Uh, for example, if, if Wall Street completely gets shut down again, like at 9-11, uh, we continue to keep running in the marketplace. We could have been open the next day, at least from the NASDAQ. Wall Street just didn't have any electricity. So that happens. But there's a lot of computer trading that happens that's just automatically done by the computer. Um, things fluctuate, you know, fractions of cents. They'll take advantage of that because they can trade faster, quicker. And I think AI affects that part of the world a lot quicker and a lot faster. Does it make it more efficient? I don't know. Does well, it make I, it faster? I, Certainly, is it better? I don't know the answer. Better for better for AI. some. Better for some. Better not better for others. I mean, how does the average investor, uh, you know, take advantage of that when he doesn't have the? Uh, Tom, I already know the answer to this, but you know, if I ask you the question, do you have a 401k? The answer is yes. Yeah. Yes, and it's huge, folks. It's enormous. There you go, Tom. So the 401k people are using this uh, these techniques absolutely. in order to trade in, in micro. So, absolutely, yeah. All right. So if you're invested, if you have a 401k, a 403b, you have an IRA account that's invested in the marketplace, it's already, AI is already a part of those investments that are on the inside. So the more difficulty comes in here is if you're some of these kids that we were talking about before, you know, these young kids that are out there trading individual stocks, they're the ones that are probably not getting any advantage of it because they're in buying the individual shares back and forth. And if you're buying back and forth and in and out, unless you got a big run-up in the marketplace, um, you're really not uh, um, uh, as efficient as a computer system is going to be to buy and sell something. What if an AI now, decides? It, what if an AI decides that uh, the investments you're making are not prudent or not uh, uh, not safe? and uh, the AI decides to not make them for you and decides to follow its own path. Oddly that you say that, Tom, because <laughs> there's a thing coming right now. There's, it's called um, um, Reg BI, uh, stands for best interest that's coming out. And then, so Reg BI goes through and basically uh, makes us there's another layer of people watching over what guys like me do on behalf of clients. So, for example, Tom, I can't just go through and say, Tom, we're going to get you out of XYZ investments. So we're going to buy ABC. Folks, there's no broker that's out there that has the ability to just do that because they feel like it anymore. If I take you out of XYZ investment and go into ABC and there's no real reason why it should be happening, there's a compliance department that's going to pop up with an alert and says, okay, you need to write down and tell us why you want to move the investment from X to ABC or whichever the case may be. You have to tell us why that's the case and that is best for your client. You know what? And I like this idea. It's a real pain in the can, but I like this idea. If it wasn't the case, there'd be a whole bunch of stuff um, in the past um, that probably would have been caught. Now, what's interesting about this is to make this happen, there's actually been regulations and conversations that have happened, and they're still pushing this way, to have robo-advisors. Guess what a robo-advisor is, Tom? An AI. It's a computer system yeah. telling you whether or not you should have this right. It's an AI. And I don't think it's the case. You know, this type of mentality on it, and I'm going through some personal opinion here, folks, is... These are, you know, the target funds we see inside of our 401k, which I don't think are very good. I don't like using target funds. And the reason I don't like target funds is, Tom, if you're going to retire in, in 2028 um, and it says you're supposed to put your investment inside of this target 2028 fund or 2030 is probably narrow or near, um, how does it know that that's the way Tom wants to invest? It, it, it doesn't. It's assuming or making a set of assumptions, which are not Tom's assumptions. It's this program's assumption. 
and then it makes those adjustments based upon that. And I don't think that's the right way to do things uh, because, Tom, you at your age, 42, <laughs> uh, might be a completely different investor than Merle at 42. You might be more aggressive. I might be more conservative. And these target funds assume that we're both the same. And so those robo-investors, which are AI, I think become really problematic when you just simply say, okay, we're just going to do whatever it says. Now, you might be in the marketplace, but it might be inconsistent with how you feel. I think by the time I retire, uh, we will all be bowing down to our AI masters. And uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, Stephen Hawking said that's the greatest yeah. Uh, yeah. worry for him of, of uh, mankind is artificial intelligence. Right. All right. We're going to so take a break. Terminator's coming. Yeah. We're going to take a break for some news. <laughs> we'll come back with more here on WSAU. Stay with us. There's a place to share the joy of your team winning it all and a place to share a laugh about skiing and taking a fall. There's and find a local volunteer opportunity at www. Make me a firefighter.org. There are a lot of people who are turning their backs, and it's the noise saying enough is enough because they're able to see through this noise. You can't ignore. We've got to pay attention. Nor should you. People, it's starting to get weird. Wake the heck up. Half of America and half of the government want our president to fail. People around my age should be paying more attention. WSAU. Empty barrels make the most noise. And WSAU.com. Now we're back here in the studio. No uh, noise here with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. No noise. <laughs> you, did, you just to hear the promo we played, uh, cutting through all of the noise. That's what we're trying to do oh, here. Oh, beautiful. Right? Yeah, okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. All right. Uh, the opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, HBEC Incorporated, and Kelch and Associates are unaffiliated companies of folks in Wisconsin. This program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. By the way, Tom, just a little thing, uh, though, of course, the COVID numbers are up, and especially up huge here in the Midwest, and especially within Wisconsin, um, the national uh, uh, average death rate still continues to keep going down as an average. So though we're getting more of it, we're getting better at treating people. All right, 715-845-2155 is the number to call. Market Watch article, is the economy getting better? Is it getting worse? It's hard to tell because there, there are some mixed numbers. I'm going to throw these numbers at you, and you can give us your uh, – of course, we know what Merle is going to say. I don't think in the uh, – how many years we've been doing this program, you have ever said the economy is getting worse. But uh, here are some numbers. Not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> Retail sales surged 1.9% in September, followed closely, uh, uh, while closely followed surveys of consumer sentiment and small business op optimism both climbed to fresh pandemic highs. Meanwhile, jobless claims climbed to a seven-week high of 898,000. And also, there are a number of, number of big companies still laying folks off. Disney was the big one this week, announcing widespread layoffs. Uh, so some positive numbers and also some, uh, some negative numbers. What do you think yeah. going forward here in the short term? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because you actually are going to hear me say something where I have a worry inside of the economy. So it's going to come. So hang on a second. <laughs> um, you know, great article. Um, uh, and I'm trying to cite the article, and I know that I have it up here because I was just looking at it, too, before the break. Um, so it's an article by Jeffrey Bartash. Um, uh, and uh, so on, on MarketWatch. 
Yes, uh, the U.S. economy is the U.S. Yep. economy still healing, but fresh dangers await. Was yeah. the, the subject? So a little bit later on, inside of the art, in, a little bit farther down inside of the article, they mark a couple of things that I find interesting. First of all, I think our Christmas season is actually going to be pretty good this year, and the reason I say that is because not only have we seen the retail numbers coming back now, but we have a record amount of savings that's still out there floating around. So if we get another stimulus that comes, and I think it does in some sense of the word, before the season, before Christmas comes. So I guess I'm saying the next month to six weeks, I think we see some sort of a stimulus package get signed to come. So whether I think we have, from a retail standpoint, a pretty good Christmas, which I think is, uh, this is, of course, well, Christmas sales, and I think it's going to be pretty good from that standpoint. Let me, let me ask you this related to that, then. We're seeing a lot of suggestions on social media that folks, if they are doing Christmas shopping this year, should do their shopping locally. And trying to keep, uh, you know, small mom and pop retailers in business that have been suffering through the pandemic, buying gift certificates or if they're not open or, you know, spending their money in those places rather than places like Walmart or Target or or the big box stores or or Amazon. So how does that affect the big box stores and Amazon's stock if a lot of people take that advice and shop locally? And I and I agree that I think uh, trying to keep these mom-and-pop shops in, in business when they've been suffering over the last seven months is probably a good thing. But if you own a lot of Amazon and Target and Walmart, it's probably going to affect that negatively, right? Well, Tom, let me first say that this we should mark this date down on the calendar, October 17th. Oh, here we go. Because we agree. <laughs> really? What do you think of that? <laughs> um, I think we should try to do what we can do to small, you know, to uh, a shop local. The unfortunate part is we're not going to be able to do all of it. And so as a result of that, then we're still going to continue to see these big box stores and that little bit are going to end up having, you know, profit because there's things that we just don't have in our normal um, uh, small uh, uh, mom-and-pop stores. If you think about it, Tom, I can remember on 3rd Avenue, in fact, I still know where the house is. It's on 3rd Avenue and West. Now, they used to sell TVs. My mom and dad, we'd pull up and look at all the different TVs and the different stations that were going on. Um, that doesn't exist anymore. If you wanted to buy a, a, a local TV, where would you go today? Well, but the only place left to go is either online or go to one of the box stores. So, so we're still going to have that, but I, I agree. Shop local if we can. I think that's uh, the best thing we can do. Um, um, I, I greatly appreciate that, and I think it's a great idea in which to do that. So some of the problems that I see and I see coming up and I hope doesn't become a problem is this. We've talked about it for weeks, and now we're starting to see evidence that it's actually starting to happen, and that this could be a problem coming up is that we have too much money chasing too few goods, which is the classic definition of inflation. And so inflation was, you know, 0.6, 0.8% annually for years, and now it's climbed up to about 1.4. The Federal Reserve says they're going to let it go to about 2.5, and their target has always been about 2% um, uh, inflation. And, and the reason they want to let it go is, is guess how you slow down inflation? You increase interest rates. If we increase interest rates, it tends to do what to the economy? Slow it down. And so inside of this article, they start talking about some of those, you know, uh, not the inflation part, but they start talking about the things that slow up the economy, and one of them is going to be unemployment types of issues. Um, you know, the, the PPE and uh, those type of things were holding up the economy. I shouldn't say holding up the economy, but holding up a lot of jobs at the airlines in different areas. Um, and now that stuff is drying up, and so business, they don't have any other choice but to lay these people off or they continue to keep going more and more inside of debt. So it's a business movement, which they have to do. Um, so the PPE helps solve that. Now, inside of this article I was talking about before, in a latter part, they talk about there's an issue with California, um, and they haven't let go their unemployment numbers for the last three weeks uh, because of problems and suspected fraud. Um, they're having problems in their, un, you know, in their numbers. 
So, so with it, I think the unemployment number is actually a little bit higher than what they say. Who knows by how much, but I think it's a bit higher than what they say. And uh, with it, unemployment's a little bit higher. We have to get that done. Hopefully, the Christmas season brings people back, brings people back to work. And they start opening up the economy on the two coasts. It's crazy. I have friends in California that are saying, well, well we're still you know, quarantined at home. And my next question is, well, why? You know, it just seems crazy to me. But they still think we're closed down like we were for the two weeks um, uh, months ago. And, and so they're still living their life in that manner. And how do you end up having a, um, an economy, a business, a lifestyle in doing so? Well, there are other countries so, around the world that are doing that. Israel and uh, some countries in Europe are thinking about yeah. going back into major lockdowns because of the, which, the spikes. Which is just, yeah, just kind of, it's just kind of crazy to me to see that. But that's a whole other conversation. All right, we saw China for God's sakes were welding people in their houses with steel doors or welding them in. <laughs> we're, we're not going to do that inside of the U.S. You know, so that's you know, kind of comes back that whether we like it or not, we're going to end up with a herd mentality, whether we do it on purpose or by. Um, just uh, uh, nature. It's going to end up happening. The question is how fast does it happen throughout the U.S. unless we hit a vaccine that comes first, and I think that might happen before it goes to the whole population. Um, but that's just what's going to occur, but keeping yourself locked up in house is going crazy. Let's go to the phone here. The amount of overdoses is, is, is just going through the roof and has um, uh, killed a, a lot of people, even uh, if you look at it in comparison to COVID. Let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is Ron. Ron, you're on with Merle. Go ahead. Morning, hey, uh, Thank you. A few years back, there was a big push for this fiduciary-type uh, advisors. Now that it's been going on for a few years, how has the industry uh, kind of moved? Is it more into the fiduciary or non-fiduciary? And yeah, more investor, what's more economical? That, I talked about before. Um, Ron, I talked about uh, earlier today, uh, there's a new regulation. It really kind of popped up this summer called Reg BI, which stands for Best Interest. And I think that's as a result of I have to put it in that fiduciary responsibility. You know, the fiduciary responsibility I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, and I'm on the opposite end of it. I have to contend with it every day. But, you know, there are people in, in our industry, Ron, that have been doing the best thing for their clients, you know, from what they believe for years. They say, let's do the best thing and take care of our client first. The rest of it follows. I've always uh, been on that uh, part of the world. And, uh, and now, granted, there are some people who didn't, and you can't regulate it against crooks and fraud. It just doesn't work that way. But then what happened is when the Department of Labor got involved in this, um, they said, well, you have to have a fiduciary responsibility, but they never defined it. So, for example, if uh, Tom was an investment advisor, Ron, I was an investment advisor, and you were an investment advisor, and we had the same set of knowledge as far as uh, we have the same tools and how to do what the client does and what the client wants to achieve. We could all three of us have different types of um, ideas on how to solve whatever this client needs to get done, whether it's you know, retirement or college or something like that. We might have three different ideas. So the next question becomes is which one's right, which one's wrong, and um, um, who's going to decide. Or which that? one's better. So, which one's better, correct. And so, unfortunately, it was only going to be courts and attorneys that solved that question because they never came up with a set of answers on what defined a fiduciary responsibility. Even when you get these, and I'm going to call them jack wagons on TV because that's what it is, they say, we're a fiduciary. If you're having a fiduciary responsibility, wouldn't you be a fiduciary? The answer would be, well, yes. So the unfortunate part about that is, is, is it didn't define anything, so it gained no traction. Now, 
we came through with regulation. I shouldn't say we, um, uh, FINRA did, came up with regulation BI, which means you have to be the best interest of your client. And so if a compliance officer does, isn't sure that what you're doing is the best interest of the, cl- interest of the client, you have to literally write up the case, why you think it's in the best interest, and they have to agree to it. And so then it falls upon the broker-dealer to make sure that what their decision is, based upon the client, or based upon the rep, the client, the circumstances, is in the best interest of the client. And they take into account um, the fees, length of time in the investment, is it right for the client, the taxes. They take care of all that sort of stuff in. How is that in? like the layer, but I think it's going to be for the better. How is that enforced? Is it enforced when somebody complains, or is there some other way of enforcement, and is the enforcement strong enough to make a difference? Um, Darren is the answer I don't have the exact answer to, but I think it comes into if, um, first of all, if my broker-dealer lets me do some sort of a half-brained idea with a client, and they say, oh, yeah, we think that's in the best interest of the client, regulation BI, so, Ron, this is the, the thing to look at, um, mm-hmm. And it turns out to not be in the best interest of the client. Guess who's going to pay that tab? Errors and emissions in a broker-dealer. So, so I think that's where the enforceability comes into it. But also, if you go through the broker-dealer and they say, well, it is in the best interest of the client. We think it's a pretty good idea for the client. And a client five years from now says, well, I think it's a terrible idea. I don't want to do this. But based upon the circumstance and everything is written, now the broker-dealer has legs in which to stand on in case this thing goes to court. Again, both sides of it. But I think it's now brought into question expenses, length of time, best interest of the client, um, uh, rate of return, taxes. It brings all that stuff together and has to be summarized. I don't. And that would be for all mutual funds, uh, securities, individual securities, or just a certain sector of the market. All of them. You know, anything through license. Okay. Field. You know, for example, um, this still floors me in our industry. So, Ron, here's a little bit of a history lesson because I've been doing this a long time. Long ago, when I first started in this business, um, if you were going to move from, uh, uh, if you're going to put a person inside of a, a, an annuity, for example, this is all surrender charges. You usually don't have too much with mutual funds anymore, so I'll use annuities. If you put a person into an annuity that had a nine-year surrender charge, um, you were considered bad because there were annuities that were out there that were three-year surrender charges, and that's the better option. And this comes right from FINRA. And so even though that the three-year surrender option had another percent and a half expenses and fees on the inside, um, in many instances that was the better option because it had a lower surrender charge. And now it's completely flipped around and says, well, we don't want you to have one that has zero surrender charges. We want you to one that has the five years because the internal fees and expenses are lower. And, right. and so I still have the argument that you know, if the expenses and fees are lower, does that make it have a better rate of return? And the answer is no. It's the investments on the inside that have it have a better rate of return. The ex- expenses and fees don't matter. But then again, if you have no rate of return, the expenses and fees, of course, if they're higher, are going to make the rate of return uh, less. So it's interesting how that's completely flipped in our industry um, and just absolutely floors me sometimes on how the mentality has changed. Um, the better option simply says is which one over the long term gives us the higher probability of achieving what the client has. So it always becomes a balance of expenses, fees, options, that kind of stuff, looking at the annuity industry. Mutual funds are no different. So we look at it and say, well, are the mutual funds with the cheapest fees? Do they have the best rates of returns? And the answer is no, not necessarily. Which ones do? The ones that make the best investment decisions. 
But like anything else, we have to do our homework and make sure that the underlying investment is what we want to do and then hold it out there for a long time. You can't invest for six months. It doesn't work that way. All right, Ron, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. We need to take a break here. We're going to come back with more. If you have a question for Merle, we'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day, here's Chris Conley. A colonial settler was shipwrecked off the coast of Georgia. While he was being rescued, he came up with an interesting idea. On this day, October 17th. Right now, more than 125,000 children are waiting to be adopted from foster care. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption works around the clock to find them the permanent loving homes. The Humanity of Wausau volunteer or appreciated donor. Please contact me, Connie Conrad, at Habitat for Humanity of Wausau. Habitat thanks Midwest Communications for making this announcement possible. We're alive and we're coming back and we're going to win. Hold the Senate and keep the White House. The clock is ticking. The Democrat progressive Marxist are telling us that's what we're supposed to believe. And the countdown is on. There's nothing we can't do. No one will be safe in Biden's America. I can't even call it Biden's America. To what is undoubtedly the most important election in history, embrace the insanity right, right here. here. These people are crazy. WSAU and WSAU.com. Embrace the insanity, indeed. We are back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. You know, before the beginning of the program, we were talking about the top heaviness of the uh, stock market at this point with the Apples and the Googles and the Microsofts and all of that. There's an article from uh, Philip Van Dorn talking about uh, diversifying your portfolio. And, of course, you talk about diversification all the time with uh, the situation, but one of the things he is suggesting, in order to, if you do have a, a a portfolio that's top heavy, with these big companies and big technology companies, one thing you can do to look at cutting your risk in those asset classes classes is something called convertible bonds. Uh, can you tell us about what those are and and how they work? Interesting you say, you say that, and and Tom, I'm watching the time here because I want to touch upon uh, one more thing with Ron was talking about. Uh, with Reg BI and something we had to do because it's important to note this. So, okay, we got about five minutes. <clears throat> okay, so so let me take a couple on this and I'll come back to uh, to Ron and Reg BI in the case that we had to do. So so in here, um, it's odd that you say this because right now we're looking for clients who are wanting money that's they can earn a few shekels but are not inside of the marketplace and you know and have a lot less volatility to them that little bit. And there's a few places we can go and one of them we're looking at is using convertibles, which is a convertible bond. So a convertible bond isn't something you put in the sunlight and the top comes up and starts playing music. That's not a convertible. That was an attempt at humor, Tom. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I'll, I'll laugh if it's actually funny. When it's actually yeah, funny, I'll laugh. This stuff interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, what a convertible bond is, is you have the ability to buy a bond. Um, and that bond at some point in time has the ability to convert to a, to a number of stocks. And so I'm using this as an example. So let's say you buy Tesla, and I don't know if they have convertibles. I'd be surprised if they don't, but... I'm just using Tesla as an example. So if we buy the Tesla convertible bond, it has inside an intrinsic value because with that bond, you can exchange it for a certain number of shares. Now I'm going to say five shares. Again, this is make-believe, folks. But um, we look at it and say, well, what's the possibility Tesla stock is going to run up in value? Well, the reason I use it as my example, we've all seen it happen throughout the course of this past year. So with that being the case, if we buy this bond and it has a point that the stock hits um, XYZ, let's say $800 a share, we have the ability to convert this bond into five shares of Tesla stock. 
So what happens then is we have the ability as an investor to buy it now and earn an interest rate where we're holding it when it's like a bond. So every six months we get interest. And then if the stock price goes up and the economy goes up and things start looking sunny and uh, the lights are popping up, we can convert that into stock shares later on if that stock price tends to go up. And so if you have a diversified portfolio of these, you have the ability to participate if the stock market goes up and the conversion over to stock. And if it doesn't, we have the ability to not participate inside of the stock market because we have the interest from the bond side of things. So it's a very popular thing, um, um, especially at times like this with low interest rate environment and uncertainty about the, the stock market's rise and when it might occur. So great article. Um, I didn't catch it, but it's something to take a look at and talk to your financial advisor about. All right, a couple minutes left. Okay, let me go back and talk about um, you know, Reg BI. So here's something we did with existing clients. So in here, years ago, we took money from the, the um, uh, mutual fund marketplace and put it into um, a great big annuity with no bells and whistles, just stripped out. And the reason we did that is because the clients were getting killed with um, uh, taxes, and as a result, their income is going up with capital gains, and it was killing their taxes, and they had to keep paying back in for the Affordable Health Care Act, for the Obamacare, for the health care part of it. So we shifted money from annuities, put it inside, I'm sorry, from mutual funds, got rid of the capital gains, put it inside of an annuity, just to do nothing more than to shield it from tax and drop down, shield it uh, yeah, from the capital gains tax, drop their taxes down, cheaper affordable care, blah, 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 worked out beautiful. Well, then along the way, um, uh, the wife of the household is some 11 years older than husband. Husband uh, uh, gets, becomes disabled. I mean, he's not going back to work now. Well, now we had to take this very thing, and we had to switch to something that had an estate side of the world because now, of course, the stock market went up. We have all these embedded capital gains, and if something happens to her, he's going to need some additional assistance, so we wanted to bypass it. So we actually took this existing annuity um, and switched it into another annuity and added expense on top of it, and so then we had to write up why we were doing this uh, to cover ourselves with Reg BI, even though it was more expensive, to add some stuff onto it. If he passed away, we could help get some of those costs uh, covered on the inside by buying some insurance, essentially life insurance on the inside, to help cover the cost of taxes. So here's an example, going back to Ron, where we had to write up where it was going to cost more for the client to do this, but we had to write up why we were doing it. And, of course, it comes back and said, you know, good idea, makes sense, blah, 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 even though it was going to cost us more to get this done because the client's objectives changed, and we are able to redo that money. All right. Repurpose it, if you will, in the future. All right, we're out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? You can give us a call, 715-849-3600. Stop by inside of 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street in Wausau. Say hello and hi. I won't be there on Monday. I resume my normal life on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> give us a call toll-free outside the Wausau area at 855-866-355-5100 or find us online at kelchinassociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, my friend. All right. That's Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates, this morning from uh, his uh, cabin up north uh, quarantining for COVID-19 for just a few more days. All right, we're out of time for today. We've got the news on the way, and the Polka Show is coming up as well, all right here on WSAU. WSAU, Wausau, WSAU-FM, Rudolph, Stevens Point, Marshfield, Wisconsin Rapids, at 95.1 FM, W236CO, Wausau.